With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Podcast on Fifth Ave. I'm Taylor Haas, you're Danny Shirey. When we signed off last week, we were talking about how like, oh, hopefully there's going to be a GM hire to talk about uh, in our next episode. And there's not, but there's something even bigger. Um, we're recording this on Friday. Yesterday, the Penguins announced that Kyle Dubas had been hired as the president of hockey operations. I think we saw the Dubas hire coming. I mean, we talked all episode, last episode about Dubas, but I, we all thought that was going to be the GM. Now, he's running the whole hockey ops department. Uh, he spoke... Uh, he had his first press conference at PPG Paints Arena shortly after uh, the hiring was announced. And I came away from that super impressed. I'm like, maybe president of hockey ops isn't high enough. <laughs> like, is there something about, you know, he, I, yeah, he was, he was great. Just what are your takeaways from that? Yeah, I, I was very impressed. Uh, we talked about this a little bit yesterday during the 24 seven, but it, I was just like, I was someone who thought that Dubas would be a, a good fit for the role that they were looking to hire for. I wasn't as high on him um, as a lot of people were. I wasn't necessarily down on him either. But compared to the Hextall regime and specifically what Hextall get, and it's not even like a media relations kind of thing, but just specifically from Hextall's uh, you know, thought process on evaluating his roster, evaluating individual players, roster construction, kind of long-term outlook, short-term outlook, all that kind of stuff. In the years, in the two years that he was Penguins GM, I feel like we got less insightfulness and transparency from him than the 20 minutes we got from Dubas yesterday. Dubas was prepared for every single question that came his way. He answered them specifically and didn't try and dance around them at all. And he had coherent plans for each of those questions. And it wasn't even, uh, you know, we'll wait and see, like specifically, and we can maybe get into this a little bit more, when he was specifically asked about the goaltending situation and Tristan Jari, he didn't shy away from it and, and you know, just kind of push back. He said, I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do. And that's the kind of guy, that, that's the transparency and, uh, and, and leadership that's needed at the top of this front office right now. So I'm, I'm right there with you. I was really, really impressed with him. And it certainly seems like the Penguins are in good hands with him. Yeah. I, media relations. That's, that, that's part of it too. I mean, he was dealing with Toronto media for how long uh, Ron Hextall. It also just seemed like he was never that comfortable speaking publicly. I feel like I, I got more out of him when I would run into him in the press box. Be like, Hey, can I ask you some real quick? Um, Another media relations thing. I saw a bunch of people on Twitter talking about like, oh my gosh, how impressive Kyle Dubas already knows everyone's names because when he's answering, you know, he'd be like, well, Taylor. And, but and no, it's because like they're, they're calling, PR is calling on us to give us the mic. So they'd say like, Taylor, next question. And then so he, he doesn't, he doesn't know all, all our names yet, but uh, we can just go right into Jari because that, that's, you know, question number one this off season. Um, he was asked what's going to happen and he didn't seem committed um, either way, which I guess is refreshing that we even heard that, that, you know, he said um, he, they're going to look at all their options, trade 
the trade market and free agency, and if Jari is number one at the top of that list, then yeah, they're going to look to resign him. But if but if he's not, then they're going to look elsewhere. So. Yeah, and that's really a, this is what I wrote. I wrote a column on this yesterday. Is that look the go, the goaltending situation? And Dubis said this himself. The goaltending position is vitally important. Probably the most important position in the sport, but it's also the most volatile position in, in the sport. And it's extremely difficult to project performance from year to year, especially over, you know, if you're looking to sign a guy for four or five years, well, he could be up that he could be up at the top of the league, those first couple of years down at the bottom and then resurge back to the top again by the end of this contract. So it's really difficult to gauge, but um, the process here of of Dubas basically saying we're going to evaluate Jari on his own. I'm going to try and get to know him a little bit and then see where he stacks up against our other options. And then we're going to go from there. That's the process that they need to take here, because while this decision is probably going to have pretty big implications on whether or not this this Crosby core can actually compete again for another Stanley Cup before they all go off into retirement. It's it's, it's going to be interesting to see. But I, I like the idea that they're not going and saying, oh, yeah, we want Jari back or, oh, yeah, we don't want to have Jari back. They're going to explore every possible avenue they can here. And additionally, Dubas basically came out and said, like, this is our top priority this offseason. So that was a great start right off the bat that he was able to re- recognize that and is now prepared to to make something happen. He, sa- he said that that was something that's going to th- that they're going to start working on here over the next two days, three days. So that's probably something that they're getting ready for right this second. Yeah. He said he's going to rely on Mike Sullivan's insight, Andy Kyoto's insight. He's going to get to actually know Jari too. Um, we, we've talked about the, the goalie uh, options on, on past episodes. There's really not much out there as far as free agents go, at least unrestricted free agents. If you look at RFAs, there's Jeremy Swayman. We've, we've talked about that a lot. The Penguins currently don't have the draft capital necessary to offer sheet him. Um, because it need, you know, there's a whole chart and it's like, if you offer this much and you have to give the team this, these specific draft picks and it has to be your own picks. It has to be for the following, the, the next draft. So we're looking at the 2024 draft. So it's the Brock McGinn trade. Um, they gave up a fourth in that one. Uh, and then they, but they, they do have a fourth in 2024. They gave up their own fourth. So that's, that would hold up an offer sheet for, for someone in that salary cap range. I've said it a million times. I'm all in on your Cesaros. Uh, because, I mean, if you look at Nashville and their situation, and they have Askarov in the system, one of the best goalie prospects around, if not the best goalie prospect around. He's currently playing in the AHL Western Conference Finals. Um, and Nashville, the, the stage of the team is that it maybe would make sense to move on from Soros and try to recoup assets now. And he only makes $1.5 million more than Jari. So um, there are options out there. It might not be Jari. Well, and then you look like Connor Hellebuck's only got a year left on his deal as well. And it's certainly he, – he, he, he said it at the end of the season. Players obviously change their minds quite frequently. But he said at the end of the season, like, I don't want to stick around for a rebuild. I don't really want to be a part of that. Like, I want to be on a on a cup contending team. He's only got a year left on his deal. And if he's going to be dealt, I might even be more inclined to take him – over Soros because they might not have to pay as much because Soros has a little bit more term. I think he's got that extra year yeah, um, on, on his deal. So again, I, I nobody wants to hear it, but if, if we're talking about a legitimate competitive window for these Penguins, 
it, it's got to be this season. If, if they're going to make another run at a cup, it's, it's got to be next season. So Hellebuck's only got a, another year on his deal. They might not have to handcuff themselves as much, whether it be shipping out trade assets or, you know, extending a guy or having to worry about it because they can just get Hellebuck in there for that one year that they're going to go all in on it. And then they can look elsewhere and kind of recalibrate after next season ends. Yeah, and we should have talked about this first, but winning now is still the the focus. Dubas made that yes. that's pretty clear. Um, I, I asked him if, if he thinks the window is still open, and if so, like what needs to happen. He said, you know, they need to add depth. But yeah, um, but he, you know, he said when it started becoming public that uh, he was talking to the Penguins, he heard from a lot of skeptics who said, like, oh, you know, they their windows closed, and he said, I'm gonna. You know, you look at Mike Sullivan, Crosby, Malk, and Latang. I'm going to choose to bet on them. Um, and we just had, he used the term supplement the greatness uh, that those guys bring. So the focus is winning now. That doesn't mean they're going to necessarily continue to mortgage the future, maybe to the levels that they have in the past. Because some another thing Dubas talked a lot about was, uh, you know, the next wave and wanting to, because, you know, the core is going to retire soon prospect pool is pretty shallow and he kept saying he wants to reduce the gap in time between this current wave of greatness and the next one so that's uh that's going to be the the big challenge moving forward is uh balancing those two separate goals i will be interested to see how that plays out because i i i I believe him i believe that that's what he wants to do and what he's going to try to do with that being said that's pretty counterintuitive there right like if, if you're going to try and maximize especially a smaller window like the penguins is you you kind of have to leverage uh the future a little bit as we've seen throughout the crosby era but i'm under the impression that the best way to i i don't even want to call it a rebuild because it's really like transitioning from one generation of hockey to the next but we've seen time and time again that the the best way to do a rebuild isn't to go overpay Artemi Panarin on the free agent market. It's to bottom out in the standings and get that high draft capital and hope that that year you can land a top talent or a generational talent. Now, obviously that's not guaranteed. We've seen plenty of teams land a a top pick or be in the top five for seasons on end. And then they, it still doesn't pan out, but I'll be interested to see how Dubas really wants. And this is years down the line at this point maybe not who knows but let's just assume it's at least two three seasons out i'll be really interested to see because by that point the penguins probably won't have bottomed out if they're going to continue to try winning here in this next little stretch so how is he gonna retool and and kind of minimize that gap like he said without bottoming out yeah so a lot of decisions coming up we're gonna take a break when i come back we're gonna keep talking about dubis we're gonna talk about ownership a little too so stay with us all right we are back uh so the penguins I mean, well, the GM search is ongoing, but uh, the search that replaced the, the president of Hockey Ops took a little under two months. And I know fans were getting very, very frustrated, at least last couple of days, last week. Um, you know, I'm reading comments on social on our site, commenting like, oh, if Dubis, you know, isn't, uh, you know, jumping at the opportunity, uh, you know, because he was taking some time to think about it, then like move on from him. A lot of frustration. 
these last two days, we learned a little bit more about just how that, that process went. And I, it sounds like it actually moved pretty quickly and that they were just very thorough. I mean, something Fenway's, um, Fenway Sports Management co-head Dave Beeson said Thursday is like, we didn't want to do it quickly. We wanted to do it right. Um, and just, I, just looking back at the timeline, so uh, May 19th, that's when Dubis was informed by Toronto that he wasn't going to be brought back. The next morning, he had a call from uh, Sam Kennedy, who he's from Fenway. He's a Penguins alternate governor. He's also CEO and president of the Red Sox. Uh, he he called uh, Dubis and said, like, hey, we have permission to talk to you. We want to talk to you. And then the next day after that, Dubis was in Boston at John Henry's house, uh, principal owner of Fenway, along with Tom Werner, who's the chairman, uh, Sam Kennedy, and, and Dave Beeston. Um, and then we, did we talk about this, how Crosby met, have we recorded? Yeah, we've recorded since then. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I reported on, it was May 23rd, Beeston was in Pittsburgh, uh, and he met with Crosby. And I mean, we, I don't think we didn't really know the extent of the conversations or how important the, that was, but it sounded like on Thursday that was pretty instrumental to uh, Dubis taking the job here. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, he basically even came out and said it because he, he talked to Crosby, he talked to Mike Sullivan while he was at, at the Penguins practice facility out in Cranberry. And he, uh, I, I think the word he used was paramount, that th those conversations were paramount to his decision to come aboard. Um, the, the thing I find interesting and I, my opinion on it differs a little bit from the fans because the fans were just going crazy and thinking that they, they kind of um, – fired a shot into the dark, I guess, going after Dubis after it sounded like the search was kind of wrapping up. And then all of a sudden he, he becomes available and then they throw everyone else to the curb waiting on Dubis. Well, one, it, it, as you said, it turns out that he made his decision several days earlier than everyone else found out. But the other thing with that, I think it just goes to show as much as we report, like it's our jobs to report, but there's some things you just don't know until you know, right? So I, I was frustrated that the search was taking so long because I hated sitting around every day expecting to get an, an email from Penguins PR yeah. telling me that somebody got hired for the role. Fans were upset because they saw Toronto replace Dubis in quicker fashion than, than um, you know, the, the Penguins search stretched two months, right? The, the Leafs hired Brad for living in, in what a week and a half. So I think that was frustrating to some people. And then all of a sudden it's like, Oh, well, if Dubis is, is having concerns or isn't all the way in, you know, what about the other candidates that they were looking at? They're probably going to feel slighted now and they might not want to come in. But I, if anything, I feel like this search has taught me like patience is a virtue. Yeah, and I mean, a big thing with Dubis was he didn't know, uh, you, can, you know, we talk about his season-ending press conference in Toronto, that he didn't know if he wanted to take a job this season at all. Um, if he wasn't brought back by Toronto, he said, he's like, oh, you won't see me pop up anywhere next week. It took two weeks, but um, that, he, you know, if, if it wasn't back to Toronto, he was going to take some time. I forget the word he used. It was something like recalibrate, regroup. Because um, he didn't want to put his family through that. And I, I still see Toronto fans being like, oh, because they feel like personally slighted by Dubis uh, somehow. We're like, oh, he was like posturing or like using his family. But, you know, Dubis, when he talked Thursday, um, it was 
his wife that actually pushed him to be like, you know, they had the, the, the family conversations like, no, now is the time. Cause you know, they were living in Toronto. He's not, he's not going back to Toronto no matter what they're going to have to move at some point. Um, he said, Might that as well wife, be now. yeah, he said they're, they have a six year old son, Leo and a two year old daughter, Lennon. He said, he said, his wife said, you know, we might as well do it now before the kids get uh, too entrenched in Toronto was, was the term. So uh, that's, that's it. And then the, going back to the, the timeline, um, over Memorial day weekend. So Dubas was in Pittsburgh, the 23rd, uh, he went back sometime after, and then he came back, uh, to Pittsburgh with his family. And it was, so that point it was really just selling the city, um, selling his family on the city. And it was, uh, Jen Bellano, who's the, what's her title? The president, senior vice president of communications. And then, Jason Seidling, who's the director of team operations, used to work in uh, the communications department. They took Dubis and his family around the city and and gave him a tour. And it was Tom Warner who said um, that, you know, like <laughs> just the work they did there, that maybe like Jen Bellano could be like the pr uh, run for the chamber of president of the chamber of commerce in Pittsburgh yeah. because of how, you know, effective she was at that. And, and Dubis talked about that too, that, you know, just that trip made his family feel so comfortable in Pittsburgh. And then, so that was, that was Memorial day weekend. He said it was early that, that weekend that they actually decided um, that, you know, he was going to take the job and then it just took a couple of days for that to be finalized and for us to find out. But it, the, the process seems like it went by pretty quickly. Um, you know, two weeks, there's just a lot of steps that needed to be taken. I don't have any issues with the timeline. Uh, it just seems like they're being very thorough. Yeah, that's really all you can ask for, too. I mean, you you see you see a lot of the names that have been thrown up and for the the GM openings around the league, and it's like you know, not saying they're all the worst in the world, but some of those guys, it's like, are they really any different than half the other general managers in the league right now? Are they gonna? The Penguins are in a very, very interesting and unique situation where they need somebody who's going to be a little bit outside the box and and forward thinking. And I, you know, I know we could get into this too, but Dubas kind of addressed the whole "I'm an analytics guy" thing yesterday, and he was like, "Look, like I I grew up in a hockey rink, and I learned that I can use this data and information to help optimize my decisions. But it's not like I'm sitting there, you know, making all my decisions and evaluations looking at a spreadsheet, which of course I would hope so." You work in an NHL front office. Um, anyway, uh, aside from that, it just it feels like he, for what the Penguins are trying to do, his I don't I don't know if assertiveness is the right the right word. Maybe just his leadership in general and some of his personality traits just really makes me think that he's the right guy. Um, and because the search was so thorough and they they had all these different voices that they talked to and they and they still landed on Dubis and wanted wanted to throw the farm at him. It, it, I'm I'm struggling to find many reasons or you know narratives as to why this wouldn't be a good hire. It, it's really just shaping up to be a slam dunk right now. The the one thing I will say, I know a lot of people are still concerned about like, oh, who's going to be the GM? Like, are they naming a GM? What's going to happen with all that? Dubas made it pretty clear that they are going to hire a GM at some point, but that's not coming anytime soon. He basically said it's probably going to go into July before they before he ends up hiring someone. Well, guess what? In the meantime, before that happens, we've got the draft. 
We've got the start of free agency. So Dubas is going to be the one calling the shots and making these big decisions here. But even after that general manager is hired, I'm under the impression that Dubas is still the guy. It, it, it kind of seems like they just kind of moved um, the, the chain of command up a little bit. So the the new GM might technically be an AGM under Dubas, but they're going to have the elevated title and role with it because they are, you know, looking for a promotion from a different team where they were an AGM or something like that. But I am under the impression, and I know some people have been concerned about this. Well, what if what if the GM and blah 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 Dubas said that he would like to bring somebody in who maybe supplements his skill set. Yeah. yeah, that supplements his skill set with something that he's maybe not the greatest at, whatever that may be, salary cap, who, who knows. But he wants to bring in somebody who can maybe cover up uh, one of his shortcomings, for lack of a better term. But Dubis, is, he's going to be the guy. He's calling the shots. Yeah, I, people have asked about the – because the July 1st um, deadline mentioned that doesn't mean he's not – He's just going to sit on his thumbs for the next month. The The reason right. is, you know, if you're going to hire GM, it's probably someone who's currently an assistant with another team, which means you have to get permission from their team to even speak to them. Um, so you're looking at there might be some who are on expiring contracts, and then in that case they would expire July 1st. But even if they're not, uh, it, this time of year, if teams don't want to let, you know, like maybe their assistant GM go if – because, you know, they're often very involved in, you know, the draft preparations or uh, going into free agency. So that's really that that's it. It just you just kind of have to wait until those things pass if you want to get, you know, all the candidates possible and really conduct a, a wide search. Um, speaking of search, though, uh, I, there is I don't know. No, I do know how this started. But Mike Sullivan was like picking his boss. Um and the the way it, I don't even think anyone like reported this, and it was like a fake report. It was like just fans, I think, misunderstanding things. Um, so when the Penguins fired Hexel, and they're talking about you know the transition process between this GM and the current GM. There's still stuff that needs to be done. I mean, they re-signed Alex Nylander in that time. There's you know preparations for other stuff and like that. They said that like Mike Sullivan is going to be assisting that group, and it was like Will Ferry's GM, Eric Easley, and all that. And for some reason, fans read that. They're like, Mike Sullivan is assisting in the GM search. Mike Sullivan's picking his own boss. Mike Sullivan talked this afternoon on Friday, and we we learned the extent of his involvement, and it was pretty it was nothing really, other than speaking to Dubis. He said, um, uh, he he didn't have any involvement until the last little while, and he said it was early this week when Fenway's Dave Beeston reached out to Sullivan and be like, Hey, can you speak with Dubis? And that was, you know, but one of the uh, big conversations that led to Dubis taking here. So it was Sullivan. He talked about, you know, those conversations a little bit. It sounds like they're very aligned on philosophies, everything from what he said. Yeah, he he did say that he didn't have, you know, the the most in-depth conversations with Dubas about, you know, what kind of players do we need to bring in? What kind of what brand of hockey do we want to play? But he definitely um, I, I think the term he the term or phrase he used was that we share a lot of the same ideas, right? So um, that's a big thing because Hextall and Sullivan they, they said that they were on the same page, but the the on ice results and the transactions that were made to to supplement those players did not line up whatsoever. I mean, 
all respect to Ron, Jan Ruda is a, is a third pairing guy. He does not strike me as the kind of defenseman that, that Mike Sullivan would be necessarily all that inclined to go after. But that also goes back because we, we hear all the time from fans about, oh, yeah, Sully decided he didn't like this one guy, so he had him trade it. <laughs> he probably would have done that with Jan Ruda if he wanted to. Okay, so um, yes, Sullivan seems to to have quite a bit of power with Fenway Sports Group, but it seems to be within reason, and I don't think that it's like he's stepping over any boundaries yeah. with that. They just respect his his insight. I mean, even from the beginning, you know, when they first closed on the deal, Tom Werner spoke to a, just a couple of us reporters at at the arena. Uh, like during an intermission of a game and he was just like raving about Mike Sullivan. He called him, you know, one of the greatest hockey minds in the game today, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So they definitely appreciate his input, but they're not like, Mike, can you pick your own boss? It's not like like that. Um, Well, and and people forget as as much as they've praised Sullivan when they fired Hextall, they said, yeah, we we think the world of Sullivan, but like, we're going to leave his fate up to the new general manager. If, if, if Sullivan truly had the power that everybody said he did, then they wouldn't have said that. Yeah. Uh, You you mentioned the analytics uh, stuff and how Dubis, yeah, he's not just like a stat geek. It's not like Moneyball. He's not going to be holed up in an office with like Katarina Wu just looking over spreadsheets and like who gets on base. <laughs> I don't know what the equivalent would be, but um, uh, he did speak. You know, they're going to evaluate their current analytics staff. They have three people um, on it. That's pretty small um, for an analytics staff. If you look around the rest of the league, he said they're going to evaluate yeah, the staff, yeah. but Fenway will, uh, you know, foot the bill to to grow it if that's what they decide they need to do. So. Um, that's that's encouraging yeah yeah i think it's shana goldman from the athletic that has like a a running mm-hmm. um like list or, or table of every team's analytics staffer or somebody that's somehow involved in an analytics capacity um and, and she started this years ago and just every time it gets updated you see all these other teams and their list is just growing and growing and growing and you're like where's the where's the penguins on there where's the penguins on there and that's like this this tiny yeah. little section on there so uh, you know it this is this is sports now like the everyone's trying to gain a competitive advantage and now that we have all this information everybody's catching up so people front offices, GMs, presidents of hockey operations, they have to keep looking and trying to find ways that they can push themselves over the top and separate themselves from the pack. So that's just a part of the game now. Um, so I, I view it as a necessity to build out this analytics department because the other thing too is that, and I'll, I'll consider myself a, a resident member of the analytics, the hockey analytics community. I can tell you from firsthand experience that you could put five members of that analytics community in front of a computer and have them look at the same outputs or statistics and we could all come to five different conclusions. So that, that's one thing I, I want to push back on that like people are under the assumption that just a, a computer spitting out a number and then that's all of a sudden how these um decisions are made it's it's not the case at all it's just another piece of the puzzle yeah well and something Sullivan said today because I asked him about just like his view on analytics and how much they used it before is he pointed out that you know in hockey hockey analytics is uh very much in its infancy like there's there's not much out there that's you know like public um it's a lot of teams doing their own proprietary tracking um, and something Sullivan said is like every every team is doing this to some degree, but because it's still in its infancy, you don't know what you're tracking. There's no like universal um, 
accepted, you know, like a rule book of like, this is what's important. This is not, it's teams kind of figuring it out themselves. And he said, so what sets you apart is when you have someone that actually has the experience and like knows what to do with it and what actually matters and what doesn't. And that's something Dubis brings to the table. So that's, you know, maybe if he hires a GM, it's not someone like an Eric Tolsky who's kind of in the same boat and maybe, um, and so it's a former player, maybe it is someone like a Darge. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we're gonna take a break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about trophies. So, so stay with us. Back when we were waiting for this GM search to to write up to wrap up, you know, we do um, columns, our our opinions on general NHL stuff a lot. I wrote one. Now this is something I've done before. Back when um, years ago on the site, we used to have these things called talking points. Um, it was like you put up like a paragraph or two, and then like a question, and then it was just to, you know to lead to a discussion in the comments. So. The one I did uh, whenever we had these talking points, which was like three years ago, um, was like, should the NHL rename the conference championship trophies that they give out to the, the two teams that are that make it to the cup final? Because, um, I mean, you look at uh, other trophies, you know, like the individual awards, it's like, okay, they just recently in 2010, they renamed the, the Lester B. Pearson after uh, Ted Lindsay. Ted Lindsay actually played the game Lester B. Pearson was a prime minister. Sure, he's a great prime minister. Terrible airport, but like that should be the name of a trophy. Um, and so, so that that was it. I mean, so the current the current names in the West it's the um, Clarence Campbell Bowl, and then in the East it's the Prince of Wales Trophy. So that 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 was like I I, I wrote a column and I was like I'm just going to expand upon like that past talking point, which is like you know the NHL has a precedent for renaming the trophies. Um, and the, the two I came up, well, I didn't come up with it. The two I put out there in the column for the names, it's not definitely not my unique idea. I couldn't tell you where it came from because it's such a popular suggestion. But if you want to name them after great players, um, the two greatest of all time, one spent his whole career in the East, one mostly played out West, um, Gretzky and Lemieux currently don't have any awards named after them, at least in the NHL. Gretzky has a couple in the OHL. USA Hot, the U.S. Hockey Hall of Fame actually has a Gretzky award. Gretzky's Canadian, but it's like an international award they give out. Mario Lemieux doesn't even have anything named after him in the QMJHL. So it's like, I don't know, this would be a cool way to uh, honor those two because it's not like... What player awards are you going to rename at this point? You can't just like keep creating player awards to, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I know people like with tradition and all that, but I don't think you can just look at like the first 50 years of your, your sports league and be like, this is it forever. And this is what we're going to stick with forever. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you, you get another 50, 75 years out from now. Well, it's, it's, you know, the Lemieux and, and Gretzky era. Well, that is going to be the infancy of the NHL, even though it's not right now. So it, it's, it's all a perspective thing. Uh, I was going to tell you though, if, if you wanted to like run down why you would like to change the names <laughs> in the first place. Well, it, it, okay. So this isn't why I, the, why I wrote the column is just in the talking point, which is like, Hey, it would be a cool way to honor the former players. 
Um, and there's no well, right, but but you have like more of a rational. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was not my initial intention. But when I'm writing this, I'm like, well, we got to include some background about where they came from. Clarence Campbell in the West, no issues necessarily with that. But it's like if you Clarence Campbell was president of the NHL, uh, he did a lot of things like help establish the Hockey Hall of Fame. Um, he didn't donate the trophy. The NHL owners came together, made the trophy, and and named it after him. The Prince of Wales one is the one that doesn't make any sense. Like, so the trophy's been around for uh, like a century. Uh, it's it's not. It's obviously not always been the playoff conference championship. The play. If we're getting talking about tradition, having a trophy for the the playoff um, championships champions in either conference that's only being a been a thing since 1981. Like that's pretty recent uh, in you know context of the history of the NHL. Prince of Wales Trophy, it was the award for a whole bunch of different things. Uh, it, so it was donated, it was like 1920-something, um, by the then Prince of Wales, Prince Edward, <coughs> who um, he cost $2,500 at the time. Um, so they named it after him, and then he eventually, uh, his father dies, he gets, he's the king, he's King Edward VIII. Uh, he's only king for 11 months and then he abdicates. He, if anyone who's watched the crown, they did like an episode or two that goes over this. Um, he abdicates, he steps down because he wants to marry American divorcee Wallace Simpson. While, you know, as a king, you're head of the church of England and like, they don't approve of divorce. It wasn't illegal for him to marry, um, a, an American divorcee, but there's a whole thing where like the ministers were probably probably would have resigned if he would have done that. It would have led to a constitutional crisis. So he, uh, he's like, well, if you can't let me marry Wallace Simpson, then I'm just going to leave. Um, and he lives most of the rest of his life in exile in France. So, uh, then there's this whole world war two thing going on. But before we get to that, um, Hitler was already in charge and he, goes to Germany and like meets um Nazi Germany and meets Hitler and is like Hitler saluting him and all this and Hitler saw him as an ally and w w the story um there's actually like telegrams like intercepted from Germany at the time that was like if the Germans had won the war like they wanted to keep Edward close because they saw him as an ally they wanted to like restore him as king because right now his brother's king Queen Elizabeth's dad um and so it, it, Edward is not a great guy. Um, I don't think, I don't know why we'd be, be beholden to him as the name of the trophy for a century because he ponied up $2,500, uh, $2,500 a century ago. Uh, there's the Nazi stuff. The, he, I don't know, he abdicated the throne. He walked away from his people after 11 months, but we can't walk away from the name of the trophy. And also, it's just stupid. Um, the so when you know that came out when the trophy initially came around it's mostly a canadian league canada's in the british commonwealth we're not florida's not in the commonwealth uh and most of the most of the league is american the prince of wales is not a title that means anything to us so even if you want to be like okay well it's not you know edward specifically that the the trophy is named after and it's just the title why is there a mostly american league with a, an award named after a british royal i don't know well, as you were saying. Well, here's my thing with it. Before you wrote that, I didn't 
know jack squat about the backstory or or history of the trophy names whatsoever i didn't know what prince of wales i mean obviously but i i didn't know the backstory on prince of wales right i I don't know anything about why these trophies are named what they are and i guarantee you it's the same for 90 percent of the nhl fan base 95 percent maybe even more a lot of comments, the blowback was like, well, we need to keep the awards to honor history and so people can learn about who these people are. I don't think, like you said, I, I think most hockey fans are in the same boat. They don't know why the award is named what it is. I feel like a lot of hockey fans probably also don't know who Clarence Campbell is, even though he had something to do with the league. It, no one's like, mm, trophy name, let me Google, let me spend a lot of time on Wikipedia. I feel like a lot of hockey fans don't care that much, but as you were. Right. I mean, what what even history are we trying to uphold there? It's not like every time the the trophy's presented, it's like, okay, now we're going to take seven minutes to commemorate what this fine fellow did for the National Hockey League. No. Okay, look, it's, I think it's stupid. I think it's stupid, right? I'm, I'm all for the name change. I'm not, I'm not beholden to, to, you know, keeping up their history. Cause as, as we both just said that nobody is, is getting a there's some people are getting a history lesson out of it as you and I did, but it's not in the sense that these people are saying it is. So yeah. if go ahead. And yeah. Well, I was, Prince of Wales again, like, yeah, history of the league. Sure. Like you look at the other trophy names. If you want to talk about tradition, yeah. Tradition of the league, not tradition of Lester B. Pearson, who didn't have anything to do with the NHL or the Prince of Wales was nothing to do with the NHL tradition to me would be naming you know, they renamed the Pearson after Ted Lindsay, especially knowing, um, you know, that uh, it's the NHLPA voted on a war, the players vote on it, and Ted Lindsay helped found the NHLPA. That's history to me. And they only made that change in 2010. So I- I'm not saying, like, we got to rename all the trophies and we got to get rid of tradition, but I feel like there's a better way to honor tradition than what they're doing right now, which is really not tradition of the league at all, at least in the East. You know. No doubt. And and because of the precedent that's been set, you can't all of a sudden go, oh, well, they, they never change anything. You can't do that. Like they have done it and they, they did it a long time ago. So <laughs> I don't think that should be a reason that's, that's holding them back now. Yeah. Well, and uh, again, like tradition, it's only been the postseason award since 1981. Before that, they would give the it was the, the regular season award. So just the whoever finishes the number and seed any of their conference. Would, Where's uh, the tradition for that? Right, like come on, and the the Prince of Wales, no, the um the Campbell Bowl has always been like the leader of the West in some capacity, whether it's regular season or um playoffs. But the 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 Ted, not the Ted, the um Prince of Wales has gone through all kinds of different changes. You're telling me like somewhere along the way you can't just change the name, well, and people are like, well, you know, one of the points I got was you can't rename the trophy because he donated it and also prince of wales like the title there's like three feathers that are part it's like a badge and that that's at the top of the trophy then get rid of the trophy um new trophy that's didn't the nba just go through this um a couple years ago with their awards renaming do you 
I don't know. I don't follow basketball. I, I, saw, I saw people I, making this point. I watched <laughs> the NBA finals to bet on it and have a good time with buttons. All right. Other than that, no. Well, people are saying the NBA just went through and renamed a bunch of their like individual awards and stuff like that. And um, I think they made new uh, trophies in, in, in some cases. Do that. Put the old ones in the Hockey Hall of Fame where the people, I don't know, you care about history, you go to the Hockey Hall of Fame and you can read about uh, the Nazi sympathizer king if that's your thing. I, I wrote this. This is like, okay, fun, boring, not boring, but f small discussion while we're waiting for the GM thing. I did not expect the blowback. Um, one, because I don't know, uh, to me, it's pretty clear that this guy who is very clearly Nazi sympathizer, but nothing to do with the NHL. Why is he the name anyway? But then also because my suggestion for the East, the Prince of Wales is the East. My suggestion is Mario Lemieux. And fans, you know, some people on social are kind of like, well, hold up. I don't know about that. It's kind of a toss-up for me. The comments were all about, like, cancel culture, where you're canceling King Edward VIII. I don't think King Edward VIII cares. He's dead. Um, rename the trophy. He, he can. He, he's still king. I'm not saying we go back and retroactively uh, take... I don't, like, does he even have statues in, in England? He was king for 11 months. We're not... We're not talking about like Queen Elizabeth, you know, the second who reigned for like eight years, but I wouldn't name a trophy after her either. What are we doing? Here's an alternate idea. Not that I dislike your suggestion. <laughs> Let's just get rid of the conference trophies to begin with. Yeah, right? Because we're at a point, we're at a point now, half the time the teams don't even want to touch the trophies because they're like, oh, I don't want to touch the trophy. We, we can't touch anything till we get to the cup. But here's the other thing. I kind of view it as... Uh, if you're a fan, right, and your team makes it to the to the Stanley Cup final before game one, are you going to go out and buy a bunch of gear and hats and T-shirts and and sweatshirts that say <laughs> Florida Panthers, Eastern <laughs> Conference champions? No, because you guess guess what? If they win it, you're going to go out and buy the Stanley Cup champions merch. Then you're never going to ever touch the conference champion stuff. Well, guess what? If you lose, you're not going to want to want to wear the conference champion stuff because it's just going to remind you of what could have been. So you know what? Yeah. If it's that big of a deal, just get rid of the friggin' trophies. That that I'm I'm not opposed to that either. And if team want if teams want to put up banners for you know that kind of thing, they can. Teams can do whatever they want with the banners anyway. You look at like the Capitals who put up regular season Eastern Conference champions teams can celebrate whatever individual awards you know they want what, but what, what what was the banner that the the Predators put up in Bridgestone Arena that everybody I, like still clowns him for was it not the same thing was it not like Western it, it, regular it season like no, I don't I don't even I don't think it because like th that's relatively normal for teams to, like put up a banner like especially not if you're not a ton. if, if no, you I, I'm well, yeah, I was going to say for, it's not common for the storied franchises or the franchises that have, um, you know, accomplished something. But for teams like the Predators, I think it's a little more commonplace for them to put up like a conference championship banner. But I could have sworn it was like way more ridiculous than just a conference conference championship banner. I could be wrong, but I feel like I specifically remember the Predators getting clowned for hanging a banner that was like, really? You really putting that up? <laughs> Uh, so it was 2018. Uh, they, so they were the West. Mm, I guess it would have had to be. Oh yeah, yeah. it was, it was Western Conference. Yeah, no, it is regular season Western Conference champions. 
It is. Oh, okay. Because they won, they, they, the reason they were really getting clowns, so they won the President's Trophy. So they won, they, they raised three banners this year for a year when they just made it to the final. Um, they, or the year after they made it to the final. They didn't even make it to the final this year. This is the year after they um, lost to the Penguins in the final. They raised the President's Trophy, and then to the one side, there's Central Division champions. And then on the right, there's Western Conference champions, but in teeny, teeny, tiny, you know, font, it's, it says regular season. But I don't know why, because if you were the President's Trophy, you're also the Western Conference. So, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It, it seems like we just need to get as many banners up in the rafters as possible. Just start, just start making stuff up. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that would that would make sense. Teams can raise the banners they want, but like another comment I was getting is like, we can't erase history. I have all these great memories of Mario Lemieux skating around holding the Prince of Wales trophy, and we can't erase that. No one's erasing that. No one's like, the, yeah. what is that, Men in Black? Like, <laughs> no, that still happened. Even if we rename the trophy, it still happened. But also, that's what you remember. That, you like, should have asked. The, you should have asked that person. You should have asked that person if the league expanding and, and gaining more teams tarnished that memory. Yeah, things change. Um, anyway, either rename the trophies or get rid of abolish them. them. <laughs> abolish them. <laughs> I don't know. Just such a silly discussion. But that's it for this week. Um, thanks for listening. If uh, you're new here, we drop episodes every Saturday. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, Spotify, Apple, Google. Um, if you want to watch it, we're on YouTube too. It's the DK Pittsburgh Sports Penguins YouTube. So if you subscribe there, you won't miss an episode. We also do live streams. We did one, you know, Thursday um, where you can like get in and ask questions. So it's stuff like that. So subscribe so you don't miss any of those. But thanks again for listening and we hope you'll join us next week. <laughs>